0: part three section two of the freedom of the will by jonathan edwards this LibriVox recording is in the public domain the acts of the will of the human soul of jesus christ necessarily holy yet truly virtuous praiseworthy rewardable etc i have already considered how dr whitby insists upon it that a freedom not only from coaction but necessity is requisite either to virtue or vice praise or dispraise reward or punishment he also insists on the same freedom as absolutely requisite to a person being the subject of a law of precepts or prohibitions in the book before mentioned pages three o one three fourteen three twenty eight three thirty nine three forty 340, three forty one three forty two three forty seven three sixty one three seventy three four ten and of promises and threatenings, pages two ninety-eight, three oh one, three oh five, three eleven, three thirty-nine, three forty, three sixty-three, and as requisite to a state of trial, page two ninety-seven, etc. Now, therefore, with an eye to these things, I would inquire into the moral conduct or in practices of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he exhibited in his human nature in his state of humiliation and first i would show that his holy behaviour was necessary or that it was impossible it should be otherwise than that he should behave himself holily and that he should be perfectly holy in each individual act of his life and secondly that his holy behaviour was properly of the nature of virtue and was worthy of praise and that he was the subject of law precept or commands promises and rewards and that he was in a state of trial One it was impossible that the acts of the will of christ's own soul should in any instance degree or circumstance be otherwise than holy and agreeable to god's nature and will the following things make this evident one god had promised so effectually to preserve and uphold him by his spirit under all his temptations that he could not fail of the end for which he came into the world but he would have failed had he fallen into sin. We have such a promise isaiah forty three one two four Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth he shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait his law this promise of god's spirit put upon him and his not crying and lifting up his voice etc relates to the time of christ's appearance on earth as is manifest from the nature of the promise and also the application of it in the new testament matthew twelve eighteen and the words imply a promise of his being so upheld by god's spirit that he should be preserved from sin particularly from pride and vainglory and from being overcome by any temptations he should be under to effect the glory of this world the pomp of an earthly prince or the applause and praise of men and that he should be so upheld that he should by no means fail of obtaining the end of his coming into the world of bringing forth judgment unto victory and establishing his kingdom of grace in the earth and in the following verses this promise is confirmed with the greatest imaginable solemnity thus saith the lord he that created the heavens and stretched them out he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein i the lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the gentiles to open the blind eyes to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house i am jehovah that is my name etc very parallel with these promises is another isaiah forty nine seven eight nine which also has an apparent respect to the time of christ's humiliation on earth thus saith the lord the redeemer of israel and his holy one to him whom man despiseth to him whom the nation abhorreth to a servant of rulers kings shall see and arise princes also shall worship because of the lord that is faithful and the holy one of israel and he shall choose thee thus saith the lord in an acceptable time have i heard thee in a day of salvation have i helped thee and i will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth etc and in isaiah fifty five six we have the messiah expressing his assurance that god would help him by so opening his ear or inclining his heart to god's commandments that he should not be rebellious but should persevere and not apostatize or turn his back that through God's help he should be immovable in obedience under great trials of reproach and suffering setting his face like a flint so that he knew he should not be ashamed or frustrated in his design and finally should be approved and justified as having done his work faithfully the lord hath opened mine ear so that i was not rebellious neither turned away my back i gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair i hid not my face from shame and spitting for the lord god will help me therefore shall i not be confounded therefore have i set my face as a flint and i know that i shall not be ashamed he is near that justifieth me who will contend with me let us stand together who is mine adversary let him come near to me behold the lord god will help me who is he that shall condemn me lo they shall all wax old as a garment the moth shall eat them up Two. the same thing is evident from all the promises which god made to the messiah of his future glory kingdom and success in his office and character of a mediator which glory could not have been obtained if his holiness had failed and he had been guilty of sin god's absolute promise makes the things Promised necessary and their failing to take place absolutely impossible and in like manner it makes those things necessary on which the things promised depends and without which it cannot take effect therefore it appears that it was utterly impossible that christ's holiness should fail from such absolute promises as these psalms the lord hath sworn and will not repent thou art a priest for ever after the order of melchizedek and from every other promise in that psalm contained in each verse of it and psalm two six seven i will declare the decree the lord hath said unto me thou art my son this day have i begotten thee ask of me and i will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance etc psalm forty five three four etc gird thy sword on thy thigh o most mighty with thy glory and thy majesty and in thy majesty ride prosperously and so everything that is said from thence to the end of the psalm see isaiah three thirteen two fifteen and fifty three ten two twelve and all those promises which god makes to the messiah of success dominion and glory in the character of a redeemer Isaiah chapter 49. 3. It was often promised to the church of God of old for their comfort that God would give them a righteous, sinless Savior. Jeremiah twenty three five six. 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth in his days shall judah be saved and israel shall dwell safely and this is the name whereby he shall be called the lord our righteousness so jeremiah thirty three fifteen i will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto david and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land isaiah eleven six seven for unto us a child is born upon the throne of david and of his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even for ever the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this chapter eleven one etc there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the lord shall rest upon him the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins chapter fifty two thirteen my servant shall deal prudently chapter fifty three nine because he had done no violence neither was guile found in his mouth if it be impossible that these promises should fail and it be easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one jot or tittle of them to pass away then it was impossible that christ should commit any sin christ himself signified that it was impossible but that the things which were spoken concerning him should be fulfilled luke twenty four forty four that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of moses and in the prophets and in the psalms concerning me matthew twenty six fifty three fifty four but how then shall the scripture be fulfilled that thus it must be mark fourteen forty nine but the scriptures must be fulfilled and so the apostle acts one sixteen seventeen this scripture must needs have been fulfilled for all the promises which were made to the church of old of the messiah as a future saviour from that made to our first parents in paradise to that which was delivered by the prophet malachi show it to be impossible that christ should not have persevered in perfect holiness the ancient predictions given to god's church of the messiah as a saviour were of the nature of promises as is evident by the predictions themselves and the manner of delivering them but they are expressly and very often called promises in the new testament as in luke one fifty four fifty five seventy two seventy three acts thirteen thirty two thirty three romans one one two three and chapter fifteen eight hebrews six thirteen etc these promises were often made with great solemnity and confirmed with an oath as genesis twenty two sixteen seventeen by myself have i sworn saith the lord that in blessing i will bless thee and in multiplying i will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the sea shore and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed compare luke one seventy two seventy three and galatians three eight fifteen sixteen the apostle on hebrews six seventeen eighteen speaking of this promise to abraham says wherein god willing more abundantly to show to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for god to lie we might have strong consolation in which words the necessity of the accomplishment or which is the same thing the impossibility of the contrary is fully declared so god confirmed the promise of the Messiah's great salvation made to david by an oath psalm eighty nine three four i have made a covenant with my chosen i have sworn unto david my servant thy seed will i establish for ever and build up thy throne to all generations there is nothing so abundantly set forth in scripture as sure and irrefragable as this promise and oath to david see psalm eighty nine thirty four to thirty six second samuel twenty three five isaiah fifty five four acts two twenty nine thirty and thirteen thirty four the scripture expressly speaks of it as utterly impossible That this promise and oath to david concerning the everlasting dominion of the messiah should fail jeremiah thirty three fifteen etc in those days and at that time i will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto david for thus saith the lord david shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of israel verses twenty twenty one if you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night and that there should not be day and night in their season then may also my covenant be broken with david my servant that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne so in verses twenty five twenty six thus abundant is the scripture in representing how impossible it was that the promises made of old concerning the great salvation and kingdom of the messiah should fail which implies that it was impossible that this messiah the second adam the promised seed of abraham and of david should fall from his integrity as the first adam did Five. all the promises that were made to the church of god under the old testament of the great enlargement of the church and advancement of her glory in the days of the gospel after the coming of the messiah the increase of her light liberty holiness joy triumph over her enemies etc of which so great a part of the old testament consists which are repeated so often are so variously exhibited so frequently introduced with great pomp and solemnity and are so abundantly sealed with typical and symbolical representations i say all these promises imply that the messiah should perfect the work of redemption and this implies that he should persevere in the work which the father had appointed him being in all things conformed to his will these promises were often confirmed by an oath see isaiah fifty four nine with the context chapter sixty two eighteen and it is represented as utterly impossible that these promises should fail isaiah forty nine fifteen with the context chapter fifty four ten with the context chapter fifty one four to eight chapter forty eight with the context and therefore it was impossible that the messiah should fail or commit sin six it was impossible that the messiah should fail of persevering in integrity and holiness as the first adam did because this would have been inconsistent with the promises which god made to the blessed virgin his mother and to her husband implying that he should save his people from their sins that god would give him the throne of his father david that he should reign over the house of jacob forever and that of his kingdom there shall be no end these promises were sure and it was impossible they should fail and therefore the virgin mary entrusting fully to them acted reasonably having an immovable foundation of her faith as elizabeth observes verse forty five and blessed is she that believeth for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the lord seven that it should have been possible that christ should sin and so fail in the work of our redemption does not consist with the eternal purpose and decree of god revealed in the scriptures that he would provide salvation for fallen man in and by jesus christ and that salvation should be offered to sinners through the preaching of the gospel thus much is implied in many scriptures as first corinthians two seven ephesians one four five and chapter three nine to eleven first peter one nineteen twenty such an absolute decree as this armenians allowed to be signified in many texts their election of nations and societies and general election of the christian church and conditional election of particular persons imply this god could not decree before the foundation of the world to save all that should believe in and obey christ unless he had absolutely decided that salvation should be provided and effectually wrought out by christ and since as the armenians themselves strenuously maintain a decree of god infers necessity hence it became necessary that christ should persevere and actually work out salvation for us and that he should not fail by the commission of sin eight that it should have been possible for christ's holiness to fail is not consistent with what god promised to his son before all ages for that salvation should be offered to men through christ and bestowed on all his faithful followers is at least implied in that certain and infallible promise spoken of by the apostle titus one two In hope of eternal life which god that cannot lie promised before the world began this does not seem to be controverted by armenians nine that it should be possible for christ to fail of doing his father's will is inconsistent with the promise made to the father by the son the logos that was with the father from the beginning before he took the human nature as may be seen in psalms forty six to eight compared with the apostles interpretation hebrews ten five to nine sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire mine ears hast thou opened or bored burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required then say i lo i come in the volume of the book it is written of me i delight to do thy will o my god yea thy law is within my heart where is a manifest allusion to the covenant which the willing servant who loved his master's service made with his master to be his servant for ever on the day wherein he had his ear bored which covenant was probably inserted in the public records called the volume of the book by the judges who were called to take cognizance of the transaction exodus twenty one if the logos who was with the father before the world and who made the world thus engaged in covenant to do the will of the father in the human nature and the promise was as it were recorded that it might be made sure doubtless it was impossible that it should fail and so it was impossible that christ should fail of doing the will of the father in the human nature Ten, if it was possible for christ to have failed of doing the will of his father and so to have failed of effectually working out redemption for sinners then the salvation of all the saints who were saved from the beginning of the world to the death of christ was not built on a firm foundation the messiah and the redemption which he was to work out by his obedience unto death was the saving foundation of all that ever were saved therefore if when the old testament saints had the pardon of their sins and the favour of god promised them and salvation bestowed upon them still it was possible that the messiah when he came might commit sin then all this was on a foundation that was not firm and stable but liable to fail something which it was possible might never be god did as it were trust to what his son had engaged and promised to do in future time and depended so much upon it that he proceeded actually to save men on the account of it though it had been already done but this trust and dependence of god on the supposition of christ being liable to fail of doing his will was leaning on a staff that was weak and might possibly break the saints of old trusted on the promises of a future redemption to be wrought out and completed by the messiah and built their comfort upon it abraham saw christ's day and rejoiced and he and the other patriarchs died in the faith of the promise of it hebrews eleven thirteen but on this supposition their faith their comfort and their salvation was built on a fallible foundation christ was not to them a tried stone a sure foundation isaiah twenty eight sixteen david entirely rested on the covenant of god with him concerning the future glorious dominion and salvation of the messiah and said it was all his salvation and all his desire and comforts himself that this covenant was an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure second samuel twenty three five but if christ's virtue might fail he was mistaken his great comfort was not built so sure as he thought it was being founded entirely on the determinations of the free will of christ's human soul which was subject to no necessity and might be determined either one way or the other also the dependence of those who looked for redemption in jerusalem and waited for the consolation of israel luke two twenty five and thirty eight and the confidence of the disciples of jesus who forsook all and followed him that they might enjoy the benefits of his future kingdom were built on a sandy foundation eleven the man christ jesus before he had finished his course of obedience and while in the midst of temptations and trials, was abundant in positively predicting his own future glory in his kingdom and the enlargement of his church the salvation of the gentiles through him etc and in promises of blessings he would bestow on his true disciples in his future kingdom on which promises he required the full dependence of his disciples john 14. but the disciples would have no ground for such dependence if christ had been liable to fail in his work and christ himself would have been guilty of presumption in so abounding in peremptory promises of great things which depended on a mere contingence viz the determinations of his free will consisting in a freedom ad utrumque to either sin or holiness standing in indifference and incident in thousands of future instances to go either one way or the other thus it is evident that it was impossible that the acts of the will of the human soul of christ should be otherwise than holy and conform to the will of the father or in other words they were necessarily so conformed i have been the longer in the proof of this matter it being a thing denied by some of the greatest armenians by episcopius in particular and because i look upon it as a point clearly and absolutely determining the controversy between calvinists and armenians concerning the necessity of such a freedom of will as is insisted on by the latter in order to moral agency virtue command or prohibition promise or threatening reward or punishment praise or dispraise merit or demerit i now therefore proceed to to consider whether christ in his holy behaviour on earth was not thus a moral agent subject to commands promises etc dr whitby very often speaks of what he calls a freedom ad utrum libet without necessity as requisite to law and commands and speaks of necessity as entirely inconsistent with injunctions and prohibitions but yet we read of christ being the subject of his father's commands john 10:18 and 15:10 and christ tells us that everything that he said or did was in a compliance with commandments he had received of the father john twelve forty nine fifty and fourteen thirty one and we often read of christ's obedience to his father's commands romans five nineteen philippians two eighteen hebrews five eight the forementioned writer represents promises offered as motives to persons to do their duty or a being moved and induced by promises as utterly inconsistent with a state wherein persons have not a liberty ad ou trum libet but are necessarily determined to one see particularly page 298 and 311 but the thing which this writer asserts is demonstrably false if the christian religion be true if there be any truth in christianity or the holy scriptures the man christ jesus had his will infallibly and unalterably determined to good and that alone but yet he had promises of glorious rewards made to him on condition of his persevering in and perfecting the work which god had appointed him isaiah fifty three ten eleven twelve psalms two and one hundred and ten isaiah forty nine seven eight nine in luke twenty two twenty eight twenty nine christ says to his disciples ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations and i appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me the word most properly signifies to appoint by covenant or promise the plain meaning of christ's words is this as you have partaken of my temptations and trials and have been steadfast and have overcome i promise to make you partakers of my reward and to give you a kingdom as the father has promised me a kingdom for continuing steadfast and overcoming in those trials and the words are well explained by those in revelations 3, to him that overcometh will i grant to sit with me on my throne even as i also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne and christ had not only promises of glorious success and rewards made to his obedience and sufferings but the scriptures plainly represent him as using these promises for motives and inducements to obey and suffer and particularly that promise of a kingdom which the father had appointed him or sitting with the father on his throne as in hebrews twelve one two Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down on the right hand of the throne of god and how strange would it be to hear any christian assert that the holy and excellent temper and behaviour of jesus christ and that obedience which he performed under such great trials was not virtuous or praiseworthy, because his will was not free ad utrumque to either holiness or sin, but was unalterably determined to one, that upon this account there is no virtue at all, in all Christ's humility, meekness, patience, charity, forgiveness of enemies, contempt of the world, heavenly mindedness, submission to the will of God, perfect obedience to his commands and to death, even the death of the cross, his great compassion to the afflicted, his unparalleled love to mankind his faithfulness to god and man under such great trials he is praying for his enemies even when nailing him to the cross that virtue when applied to these things is but an empty name that there was no merit in any of these things that is that christ was worthy of nothing at all on account of them worthy of no reward no praise no honour or respect from god or man because his will was not indifferent and free either to these things or the contrary but under such a strong inclination or bias to the things that were excellent as made it impossible that he should choose the contrary, that upon this account, to use Dr. Whitby's language, it would be sensibly unreasonable that the human nature should be rewarded for any of these things, according to this doctrine, that creature who is evidently set forth in scripture as the firstborn of every creature as having in all things the pre-eminence and as the highest of all creatures in virtue, honour, and worthiness of esteem, praise, and glory on account of his virtue is less worthy of reward or praise than the very least of saints yea no more worthy than a clock or mere machine that is purely passive and moved by natural necessity if we judge by scriptural representations of things we have reason to suppose that christ took on him our nature and dwelt with us in this world in a suffering state not only to satisfy for our sins but that he being in our nature and circumstances and under our trials might be our most fit and proper example leader and captain in the exercise of glorious and victorious virtue and might be a visible instance of the glorious end and reward of it that we might see in him the beauty amiableness and true honour and glory and exceeding benefit of that virtue which it is proper for us human beings to practise and might thereby learn and be animated to seek the like glory and honour and to obtain the like glorious reward see hebrews two nine to fourteen with verse eight nine and twelve one two three john fifteen ten romans eight seventeen second timothy two eleven twelve first peter two nineteen twenty and four thirteen but if there was nothing of any virtue or merit or worthiness of any reward glory praise or commendation at all in all that he did because it was all necessary and he could not help it then how is here anything so proper to animate and incite us free creatures by patient continuance in well-doing to seek for honour glory and virtue God speaks of himself as peculiarly well pleased with the righteousness of this distinguished servant isaiah forty two twenty one the lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake the sacrifices of old are spoken of as a sweet savour to god but the obedience of christ is far more acceptable than they psalms forty six seven sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire mine ear hast thou opened as thy servant performing willing obedience burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required then said i lo i come as a servant that cheerfully answers the calls of his master i delight to do thy will o my god and thy law is within mine heart matthew seventeen five this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and christ tells us expressly that the father loves him for that wonderful instance of his obedience his voluntary yielding himself to death in compliance with the father's command John ten seventeen eighteen therefore doth my father love me because i lay down my life no man taketh it from me but i lay it down of myself this commandment received i of my father and if there was no merit in christ's obedience unto death if it was not worthy of praise and of the most glorious rewards the heavenly hosts were exceedingly mistaken by the account that is given of them revelations five eight to twelve the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odours and they sung a new song saying thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof for thou wast slain and i beheld and i heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing christ speaks of the eternal life which he was to receive as the reward of his obedience to the father's commandments john twelve forty nine fifty i have not spoken of myself but the father which sent me he gave me a commandment what i should say and what i should speak and i know that his commandment is life everlasting whatsoever i speak therefore even as the father said unto me so i speak god promises to divide him a portion with the great etc for his being his righteous servant for his glorious virtue under such great trials and afflictions isaiah fifty three eleven twelve he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities therefore will i divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death the scriptures represent god as rewarding him far above all his other servants Philippians 2, 7 to 9, He took on him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name above every name. Psalms 45, 7, Thou lovest righteousness, and hatest wickedness, therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows there is no room to pretend that the glorious benefits bestowed in consequence of christ's obedience are not properly of the nature of a reward what is a reward in the most proper sense but a benefit bestowed in consequence of something morally excellent in quality or behaviour in testimony of well-pleasedness in that moral excellency and of respect and favour on that account if we consider the nature of a reward most strictly and make the utmost of it and add to the things contained in this description proper merit or worthiness and the bestowment of the benefit in consequence of a promise still it will be found there is nothing belonging to it but what the scripture most expressly ascribes to the glory bestowed on christ after his sufferings as appears from what has been already observed there was a glorious benefit bestowed in consequence of something morally excellent being called righteousness and obedience there was great favour love and well-pleasedness for this righteousness and obedience in the bestower there was proper merit or worthiness of the benefit in the obedience it was bestowed in fulfilment of promises made to that obedience and was bestowed therefore or because he had performed that obedience i may add to all these things that jesus christ while here in the flesh was manifestly in a state of trial the last adam as christ is called first corinthians fifteen forty five romans five fourteen taking on him the human nature and so the form of a servant and being under the law to stand and act for us was put into a state of trial as the first adam was dr whitby mentions these three things as evidence of persons being in a state of trial on the five points page two ninety eight to ninety nine namely their afflictions being spoken of as their trials or temptations their being the subjects of promises and their being exposed to satan's temptations but christ was apparently the subject of each of these concerning promises made to him I have spoken already the difficulties and afflictions he met with in the course of his obedience are called his temptations or trials Luke twenty two twenty eight ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations or trials hebrews two eighteen for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted or tried he is able to succor them that are tempted and chapter four fifteen we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin and as to his being tempted by satan it is what none will dispute end of part three section two